Today I want us to, uh, you can open up to the book of Philippians. We're going to get back into 1 Corinthians in a couple weeks, but for a couple, a couple weeks we're going to be looking at um, a series entitled, I, I call it, Living Faithfully in a Chaotic World. <laughs> Living Faithfully in a Chaotic World and how we can best do that as believers. Uh, we've just come out of an incredibly chaotic uh, year. I mean, 2020 was a year like no other, clearly. We have experienced, especially in this country, things and events in our own lives that no one has experienced in all of history. So we're actually living history. It's really, uh, I have a a t-shirt I wear, it says um, 2020 strong, and it says the weirdest year in all of history. (laughs) And this weirdness, everything that's been uh, this chaotic year that we've come through, it has unfortunately created hostility, it's created uncertainty, it's created uh, worry, anxiety in the hearts of most everyone to some degree. Uh, I think it's created hostility when it comes to seeing some of the injustices in our legal and political system. It's created uncertainty uh, when it comes to our futures, not knowing what tomorrow may hold. It has created worry and anxiety when it comes to basic things like living out our daily lives in a hostile um, and anti-Christian society and anti-Christian world. Um, And we're all affected by this. It doesn't matter um, whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. Everybody is affected by this. Maybe you're retired. You're still affected by it. In some fashion or form, this past year has affected us in ways, I think, that we have yet to see. So my question this morning is, as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ... How are we to process all this stuff? What are we to do with it? Um, Are we to fight and rebel? (laughs) I don't think the scripture tells us to do that. Are we to cower in fear in the corner and just comply? I don't think scripture tells us to do that either. Um, Let me just remind you of the year we've come through. What has unfolded. Um, First and foremost, our country was... And the world, by the way, was hit with this health crisis, this coronavirus pandemic, they called it. Um, And it literally shut down our own country's economy and the economy of the world. It it shut down most countries. And as we think back, and if you can remember entering 2020, uh, it seemed as if our country was strong. the economy seemed to be going in the right direction. It was, it was strong. It was, people's hopes were high. <laughs> uh, as Christians and as conservatives, it seemed that certain conservative values were having their impact, and we were seeing reform in certain areas, and we thought, wow, this is good, this is good. And then, unfortunately, uh, our country, the world, was hit with the virus from China. That's where it came from. It was unleashed on the world. Now, whether it was an intentional act or not, it really doesn't matter to me because the damage is done. Um, And it was then that certain people in power, unfortunately, decided to use this crisis as a means of controlling people in our society with fear and misinformation. And unfortunately, that fear and misinformation continues to this day. Now, with that being said, make no mistake about it, the coronavirus is a real virus. It's real. And personally, I don't want to catch it, nor should you. (laughs) Um, Some of you have contracted it, and you felt the physical pain and headaches and the chills and the fevers and everything for a few days, and you went on to recover fully. Other people in the world and in our country, unfortunately, we're not so fortunate Um, Many people, especially those with high-risk preconditions that were of the risk, uh, 
in their physical health contracted the virus, and a lot of the older people who got it didn't didn't survive. They died. And that's a horrible thing. It's, it's a horrible thing, especially in the way a lot of these people had to die was alone <laughs> because no one was allowed to be with them because they had this virus. Um, I mean, viruses and diseases and sickness and, and, you know, unfortunately, death itself is part of life, is it not? It's part of life. That's what happens in this world. And it shouldn't catch us by surprise. It shouldn't cause our hearts to be filled with fear and uncertainty. Um, this basically, I look at it as an affirmation of Scripture being true. <laughs> the Bible makes it very clear that there's a no, no escaping trouble, trial, tribulation in this life. Especially for those that know Christ. I mean, Christ himself said... Just to remind you, he said this in John sixteen thirty three. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, however, you will have what? Tribulation. <laughs> you will have tribulation. This was the Lord himself telling his disciples. Now, he didn't just tell them, well, you know, uh, you're just going to have to deal with it. He says, take heart. That's what the Lord told his disciples. Trials or tribulations are coming, but he says, take heart. Why? Because Christ said, I have overcome the world. I've overcome it. I've already won the battle. Um, you know, he didn't follow up his statement, boy, you're going to have tribulation. You know what? You just need to hang in there, just ignore it or figure it out on your own. No, he said, take heart because I've already dealt with it. Been there, done that. Because he has overcome every obstacle in the world. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, just practically speaking, um, learning to overcome stress learning to overcome worry and anxiety, it's often easier said than done, is it not? It just is. As a matter of fact, the study of mental health and wellness has become more prevalent in today's society than ever before. And the rise of diagnosed cases of mental illness has become a topic of concern among medical professionals, among politicians, among regular citizens alike. And Jesus tells us that, you know what, don't worry about tomorrow. But that's not always easy. <laughs> it's not. It's not easy. Um, so we're just going to spend a few weeks exploring what the Bible teaches us uh, regarding our thoughts, our emotions, how do we deal with everything we see going on around us. Uh, we want to look at why it's important to take care of our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, and most importantly, what? Our spiritual health. See, and that's it's been the, the downfall of how some have handled this pandemic. When the church needs the church to be the church the most, all of a sudden the church isn't there. <laughs> Maybe they're not allowed to be there. But health officials themselves tell us this past year there's been a massive increase in clinical depression, depression, anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress. All those things are just on the rise. Why? Because of everything that people see is going on around them. And when situations arise in our lives that cause us to be stressed, the nervous system, as God created it, the nervous system produces hormones to prepare the body to defend itself from whatever potential threat is coming against it. That's, that's the way God created our bodies. And that threat comes from the outside. But there's also, you know, things like short-term stress. If you're on the freeway and, you know, you almost get in an accident, you know, maybe you're driving a long time and getting tired and, oh, wow, you, you have a close call and you wake up. You know, those, those, that energy that, that our system reacts in such a way that it gives us more alertness and it gives us more vigilance to, to stay awake 
Why? Because we were just stressed out over a situation. We almost ran off the road or hit a car or whatever. But they say long-term stress, such as prolonged illness, unresolved conflict, or ongoing trauma, um, really causes negative physical and emotional symptoms in people's lives. Um, Anxiety is internally caused. It's, It's defined by persistent, excessive worries that don't go away even in the absence of the stressor. So anxiety is something that says there's no reason to be stressed out right now. You're not almost in an accident. You know, you almost didn't jump off a cliff or something crazy like that. So it's like there's no reason for you to be stressed, but in your mind you're thinking there is. And so both long-term stress and anxiety have been shown to have bad, far-reaching effects on the overall health and even how we interact with people. And so, you know, we have professionals that can deal with really severe cases of this with counseling, medication, whatever. We thank God for that. But we also have to realize that part of this is understanding, you know, the situation we, we see ourselves in and how we can better equip ourselves to clearly see what's going on. I, I was reminded this past week as I was studying, there was a, a parable. It's called the parable of death. And I, I just want to share it with you. Um, and it, it, it makes death into kind of a, uh, a being. So it says, Death was walking toward a man who stopped him and asked him, What are you going to do? So death is walking down the road, and the man meets him, and he says, What are you going to do, Death? And Death says, I am going to go kill 10,000 people. Well, the man obviously responded. He says, That's horrible. Why would you do such a thing? And death responded and said, hey, that's the way it is. That's what I do. I'm death. So I'm going to go kill 10,000 people. And as the day passed by, the man, clearly upset, he ran to everyone he knew and he warned everyone he could about death's plan to kill 10,000 people. And at the end of the day, on the same road, he met death again. And the man said, you said you were going to kill 10,000 people. And yet 100,000 people died. And death looked at him and said, well, I only killed 10,000. Worry and fear killed the rest. See, that's what's going on in our country, to be honest. See, worry is one of the biggest problems we face in life. And it tends to get worse sometimes as we get older. Uh, Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic said worry affects circulation, it affects the heart, it affects the glands, it affects the whole nervous system. And then he says, and it profoundly affects the health of an individual. On a more spiritual note, Corey Tenboom said this about worry. She knew the destructive force of worry, and she said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And if you've been anxious, if you've been prone to worry lately, as most of us have, you understand that statement. There are days you don't even want to wake up. It's destruction Worry starts with a, just a little trickle, just a tiny little, little trickle through the mind. And pretty soon, it's cutting out a huge furrow. And, and all of a sudden, everything in the mind falls into that pit of worry. And it paralyzes you. I've told you before, I play a little game, kind of what if in my own mind. What if the, the worst possible thing happens? <laughs> And when I'm okay with that, then I can move on. Because <laughs> usually it doesn't happen, right? You get on a plane. Well, the worst possible thing is this plane could go down. But you know what? I'm with the Lord. I'm sure I'll miss my family, but whatever. So I think of all those things. But see, sometimes that's constantly going on in someone's head. 
They're looking at the situation, and they're always anticipating the worst. And they can't seem to deal with the worst, but they don't leave it either. So they just continue to focus on it, and they continue to worry. See, if you engage in those kind of mind-draining, negative mind games, then you need to know that God's plan for you is not worry. It's what? It's peace. It's joy in Christ. But with all these concerns, with all everything, the issues and, and stuff that we're, we're dealing with, we need to make sure that we understand where we are to turn as believers. I mean, do we turn to the news? I hope not. I hope that's not your source. Because if that's your source, that's your problem. Other than a couple few moments, I haven't watched the news since the election, to be honest with you. And, you know, I see alerts on my phone, so I get the news that way. But still, it's like, you know what? You don't know who to believe. You don't know what's going on. Everything's upside down. It's, it's crazy. And I found myself, the more, even around the election time, listening to the news, I found myself thinking thoughts that your pastor should not think. And so I thought, how am I to deal with this? So I set it aside. Do you look to Facebook and Twitter and Parler? I can't look there anymore. Do you look to social media to get your worries solved? I mean, my take on all that is honestly, they're part of the problem. They're not part of the solution, very clearly. Um, I think social media has been the cause for most people to become disconnected with each other physically and verbally. It's all done on social media anymore. And I don't know if you've had this happen, but it, it was very... Striking to me when we were together as a family in Hawaii, all seven of us are sitting in the living room, TVs on, playing something as some show the girls were watching. And I looked around the room, me included, and what are we doing? We all got our phone out and we're all. We're not even talking. Seven people, grown, you know, adults, two children. And I thought, wow, this, this is what our society is about. Now, luckily, we don't do that all the time. <laughs> but the fact that we do it at all is kind of weird. As a matter of fact, a couple of us, me included, even texted somebody else who was sitting on the other side of the room. <laughs> hey, Mason, you want to go get something to eat? Sure, Grandpa, let's go. <laughs> so it's so weird, right? But you just get convenient. And I'm not like an anti-social, you know, throw your phones out. I'm not that at all. I believe in technology if you use it rightly and it doesn't use you. But we have to be careful. Where do we turn to when these times fall down upon us? Well, as believers, we know where to turn. We turn to the holy, infallible, inerrant, God-breathed word of God. That's the truth that we can hold on to. So turn to Philippians chapter 4. And why don't you stand, and I just want to read our text for us this morning. See how far we get through our message here. And then we'll pray and share a couple thoughts with you. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Paul says, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, 
but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever circumstance, whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? Because I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Father, we ask your blessing upon your word. And Father, we thank you that you're a God who does promise us peace in the midst of chaos. That we don't have to be anxious about the world in which we live. Because you've already conquered it and we're on the right side. We just need to come to you with everything by prayer and supplication. And we should be giving thanks in our hearts to you for all that you provide for us on a daily basis. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. His plan for us is rest, not stress. God does not want us to be stressed out of our minds. He wants us to understand his peace. He doesn't want us to live in turmoil day in and day out. And I hope that this series will teach us all how we can keep ourselves from being anxious and worry and allowing the world circumstances to rob us of our joy and that we can discover that peace and that joy that that. Christ promises in our relationships with God and even with others. And so Philippians um, is a book of joy. That's what commentators say. If you, if you ask them what's the main theme of Philippians, they will say joy. And it, it indicates that believers are always to rejoice. He says rejoice always. We're not to worry over things, but we're to what? We're to pray about things. We're to keep our mind, the Bible says, fixed on good things thoughts, on godly thoughts. And as you do, his promises is that we will experience God's peace. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And then he says this, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive. Now, I want us just to look at a three, three steps to understanding what it means to take our thoughts captive. How do we do this? How can we take our thoughts captive when we're being bombarded daily by information that, for the most part, logically should cause us to worry? <laughs> but we have to remind ourselves that we're not of this world, Right? That we're of a different world. We're here temporarily. Our, our life is but a vapor here. So the first step, there in the outline for you, the first step in taking our thoughts captive is learning to evaluate how we process our thoughts and our emotions. How do we process our thoughts and our emotions? And this is there's kind of a general principle over here, but it may be different for individuals as well. But generally, I mean, how are we focusing our our Minds, how, what are we focusing on? Um, are we focusing on all the problems? Are we focusing on our seemingly inability to solve the problems ourselves? Or are we focusing on God who, what, continually promises to remain at our side through everything, thick and thin, and be our strength during moments of weakness? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says this. Remember Paul, I mean, he had a, uh, what we'll call a thorn in the flesh. There was something bugging him. And commentators, you know, was it a physical thorn? Was it a, a person? Was it a false teacher? We don't know. I mean, there's different things. People say different things. But there was something that was bugging him to the point where he went to the Lord three times and said, take this thing away. I can't deal with it anymore. And Paul says this, after going to the Lord three times and asking, pleading for him to remove this thorn in the flesh, as it's called. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, he says, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, even calamities. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. So today I want to look at this, a portion of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Uh, Now he wrote this letter during a time of immense personal stress. He was anxious. He was anxious about a lot. I mean, he was coming to the end of his life. Um, He had been in a a long conflict with his former colleagues in the Jewish leadership from which he was saved out of. And he's had multiple attempts on his life. And now he's living under basic house arrest while he's waiting to present his case to Caesar in Rome. And so during this time, he's not able to go out and do ministry, but during this time, the Bible says that some people were out there preaching the gospel, not because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah who came to save the world, but because they thought, you know what, if we go out there and do Paul's job, that's even going to cause him more anguish. (laughs) You know, um, it'd be kind of like, you know, if, if somehow you were working at your job and, and all of a sudden you couldn't do it anymore. And they called you every day saying, hey, no need for you to be here. Hope you, you know, get better someday. But there's no need because we're doing everything that you did. Every, everything's going just fine. You know, we're, we're taking care of everything. There's no need for you here anymore at this company, by the way. You know, I mean, that wouldn't make you feel good. That would cause concern in your heart. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 1, we can read there in verses 15 to 18 what he speaks about this. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who preach it out of envy and rivalry, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to affect me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, either way, he says, whether in pretense or in truth, I don't care what their motivation is. Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And so despite all that, all this stuff going on in Paul's life, he rejoices in this letter. Because it doesn't matter to him what the motivation of these individuals are. The gospel was being preached. And later in the letter, he, he writes that the key in finding contentment and joy in every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, is by continually, he says, looking to Christ Jesus for the strength to move forward. And that's what basically he says in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In short, Paul recognizes that what he focuses on, whether it's going to be the the, the problem that he's facing or the promise of God, what is he focusing on? Whichever one he picks, that's going to directly affect his mental and his emotional state. And so we have to stop and we have to think. You know, it's important to note that the Bible doesn't shy away from issues like depression or anxiety fear. We see it throughout the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's accounts of of men and women who struggled with these. These are real issues. You remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Remember the story? He just got done having a victory over the, 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 the gods of Baal and the false gods and all that at Mount Carmel. And then we, we read in 1 Kings 19.4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. He was suicidal. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. See, these these issues are real 
that we're dealing with. And we have to be sensitive to our own thinking and to the thinking of others. People are concerned for our country, and they well be better. They better be concerned. But at the same time, don't forget God is in control. God is carrying out his, his plan, his purpose. Or you think of David in some of the Psalms, some of the things that David, you know, the man after God's own heart, right? There, there are different kinds of Psalms of lament. There's community lament and individual lament. Lament being kind of like sorrow or concern, anxiety. The community Psalms of lament deal with the situation that the nation was dealing with. They describe problems faced um, by all the people of God. In Psalm 12 is an example of a community uh, lament psalm. It's expressing sadness over widespread sin. It says in verse uh, 1 and 2 of Psalm 12, Help, Lord, for there is no one who is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. I mean, if that doesn't apply to some of our own people and leadership, I don't know what does. But then you have individual lament. Not just a community lament, but an individual, and it talks about personal problems. For example, in Psalm 86, verse 14, David Psalm of David, he says, Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. He's, he's weary. There are 42 individual psalms of lament and 16 national psalms of lament. Anxiety, worry was a concern. And then in the New Testament, you see Paul. Uh, he confessed that he and his companions um, were a little... Uh, Despair, First or Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says this, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul. He does go on to say, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He delivered us, Paul says, from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. And he will deliver us again. Now I think what's important is when you see these occurrences in Scripture, as with Elijah, he was, he was despairing for his own life. I mean, he wanted to die. What was God's reaction to that? God didn't come to Elijah and shame him or correct him. In the middle of his grief, instead, what did, you know, you can read the account for yourself in 1 Kings 19. The account itself says that God went on to feed him and told him to get some rest. (laughs) And then he sent him on another journey in which he would again uh, be partner and ultimately what the Lord would have him to do in the hearts and lives of the, the people of Israel. But see, this is, this is something that is a very real thing. So the first step is to take our thoughts captive. Take our thoughts captive. Be careful what you put in. Garbage in, garbage out. You know, if you want to get yourself in a frenzy, sit down and have a marathon with any of the, the news channels, and you'll, you'll be worried sick. But that's not what God calls us to do. It's better to read portions of Scripture or sing songs like we're singing this morning. That God is above all this. Truly he is. The second step in your outline to learning how to take our thoughts captives is recognizing that we aren't meant to face these things alone. We aren't meant to face these troubles alone. As individuals, it's vital for our overall well-being to have others that we can safely reach out to if we're struggling with stress or anxiety or worry, especially within the church. And when we, we share our burdens and, and our cares and concerns with others who care for us, it, it helps us ease that pressure that we're experiencing. And that's what's been so 
frustrating with the way even our own political leaders have responded to this pandemic. You know, they not only shut down restaurants and places of business, but they also shut down spiritual houses of worship. So they're telling people, yeah, this is a tough time right now, and we're sorry, but you can't gather together to help ease this pressure. And it's had its toll. And just so you understand, I mean, there are some churches even today that are saying they probably won't have church till 2022. They may not sing for two or three years together as the body of Christ. I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand it. But you know what? (laughs) We're here, and, and I pray that you are finding comfort and support and strength in us meeting together. Sundays, on Wednesdays, the women's Bible studies, whatever it might be. I think it's important that we share our burdens one with another because we're not called to do this alone. And you, you see this there in the text in verse 1 of Philippians 4. He says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, and my joy and crown, stand firm, Thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he reaches out and he says, you know what? One way that you can maintain the joy of the Lord is, is in friendship with other believers. Friends standing fast in the Lord bring joy to one another. That's very important. And that's what's so you know, heartbreaking when you see people who are going through troubling times in their lives and their first, their first kind of Action is to pull away from the church for whatever reason. But that's, a, that's always a, a bad move. Because if you can't come and share your burdens here in this place with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, a counselor's not going to help you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just not going to work. Because you have your priorities all messed up. So you need to understand that there's joy in friendship within the body of Christ. And that's what Paul points out there. He addresses them as, as brothers, friends. He, he wants them to know that we need each other. And then there's joy in unity in verses 2 and 3. We see this clearly. He talks about Euodia and Syntyche. They were having a disagreement within the church there. And he says, listen, you know what? You need to move on. He says, yes, I, like you also, true companion, help these women. Who is he, who is he talking to? We don't know if he's talking to the whole church or talking to an individual within the church. But he's saying, you know what? These people who had a, an issue, they need to figure it out. They've labored by my side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So we're called to be not just together as a body, but together in unity. We're, we're called to be at peace with one another. And if the church can't have peace with its members, then the members are focusing on wrong things. So we need to evaluate that in the light of all these things. So he says in In chapter 2, Philippians, verses 1 to 11, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction or affection, any sympathy, he says, verse 2, complete my joy by being of what? The same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How do you do that? Paul goes on to say, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. Don't do anything out of conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count Equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every knee will bow, by the way, one day, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we look at various things going on around us, in the church, out of the church, whatever, it shouldn't be, well, I disagree with that person, it's my way or the highway, so therefore I'm going to leave that church or I'm going to do... No, that's not what we're called to. We're called to have the joy of, of Christ in unity as a body. So that means you get together and you hash it out. If you have a disagreement with somebody, don't, don't solve it on Twitter or Facebook or a text message. Pick up the phone and say, I would like to meet with you. And then physically get together. I know it's a little more difficult now, but get together in one room and talk. Because when you do things over a text message or an email, there's so much that can be lost amongst the words. Because I'm not looking at your face. I don't know if you're mad, happy, sad. I have the slightest idea. I'm just reading words on a page. And a lot of times I'll read an email and I go, hmm, okay, I wonder what they meant by that. They could have meant this, they could have meant that. If they mean this, that's a good thing. If they meant that, that's really bad. But it doesn't tell me. See, and so it's important that we, we, we don't avoid coming together because we, we have disagreements on things, whatever it might be. We want to preserve the unity of the church. And then in verses 4 to 9, he talks about joy in God's peace. He basically tells us to rejoice, pray in all things, rejoice in all things, keep your mind on, on positive thoughts. Um, again, he returns to that, that theme of joy. He calls believers to rejoice at all times, and he repeats it several times. Um, that includes bad times, it, it, or maybe what we perceive as being bad times. Um, I mean, as believers, we should be known as joyful people. Would you agree? We shouldn't be known as people who are wringing our hands, running around, going, oh, my, oh, it's the end of the world. What's happening? No. You know what? This is just a great opportunity for God to work in our country. And, you know, I get it. It was kind of a gut punch. But I said long before the election even happened, I said that if our current president didn't win re-election, guess what? God doesn't want him to be our current president. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. The Bible says God raises up leaders and he brings them down. And so, you know, we need to have that perspective. And I get it. I mean, it's a different mindset. It's a more liberal agenda the other administration will have. But you know what? This is what God has called us to. Maybe it's to bring people to their knees so that they could be one to Christ. I don't know. I don't think it's going to get better. But you know what? That should not cause us to fear and cower, cower and fear, but... There should be excitement in our heart, knowing that, you know what, this means we're just closer. <laughs> we're much, much closer. But even with that being said, God could turn everything around in for you. You don't know. See, it's not about politics. It never has been. We need to be reminded that this place is temporary. But as believers, we also need to be reminded that, you know what, we need to be praying for President-elect Biden, for Vice President-elect Harris. We need to be praying for these individuals. We need to be praying for their administrations. That's what God calls us to do. It doesn't matter whether they have a D or an R. Before. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. And if this is from God's hand, which it is, or it would not have happened then so be it. Let's roll up our sleeves, get focused on what really matters, and do the work that God has called us to do. 
Does that mean it might be harder? It might be more difficult? Sure. But I'm reminded what James says in James 1. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That means whether it's political, whether it's financial, whether it's relationships, any kind of trial. For you know that what? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do you want to be steadfast in your faith? Do you want to be faithful in your faith and living out your faith in a world that's chaotic? Well, you have to count it all joy. It's like, God, what are you going to do next? It's kind of exciting. And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. What does this mean? It means that God has us here in a holding pattern. He has us here on earth. This is not our home. This isn't, you know, our eternal destiny. So we're here for a temporary basis. James says our life is but a vapor, here and gone. So while we're here, he's molding us, he's shaping us, he's making us more perfect, more complete, more ready for his appearing. Let it have its full effect, he says. Lacking in nothing. And if you don't understand it, if you lack wisdom, he says, then ask God to give you the proper perspective, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because why? He's a double Minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You know, we we pray for certain things, and then when we don't get them, what do we do? Well, (laughs) can't support this. Well, wait a minute. Is this God's will? Yes, it is. At least it will be on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever this happens. But it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. And it's definitely not the end of the church. So we need to remind ourselves of these things. And then he says there in verses 10 to 13, talking about joy and contentment. Be content in all these circumstances. Um, Worry and anxiety come from focusing on your circumstances rather than the promises of God. Um. And Paul, if anybody, had the opportunity to do that. He was in jail. (laughs) So if you're in jail and you're just focusing, wow, you're just on jail, you're not going to feel much like ministering to anyone. I mean, the the message Ken brought uh, uh, a couple weeks ago was wonderful in the fact that it it, it basically showed us we, we don't need to have our eyes here. We need to have our eyes heavenward. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't be anxious about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you'll put on, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing. And it goes on and it explains how God continues to provide for us as his people. And he finally says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, (laughs) for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, just take it day by day. Day by day. And the Lord will help you through that. And then at the end of the chapter, there are verses 14 to 20. He talks about joy in Christ's provision and the idea that, that Christ has already um, conquered the world. He has already taken care of what needs to be taken care of. We're on the right team. We're on the winning team. You may not look at all the time, but we are. And we have to take faith in that. And just be reminded that, you know what? Our God is a, is a God of truth. He's not going to tell us to do something. He's not going to tell us to um, uh, not worry if we need to be worrying. So we just need to be reminded of these things. Um, I think that that also the last thing, not only do we have to evaluate how we process our thoughts and our emotions, 
not only do we have to realize that we're not meant to go through all this on our own, but to take our thoughts captive, we have to learn to be honest with ourselves. Honest with ourselves and honest also with the Lord about what we're thinking and feeling. Um, and, you know, the Psalms are, are wonderful scriptures to turn to because you see moments of joy, you see moments of sorrow, you see moments of disillusionment in the heart of David. And he was able to be honest about how he was feeling. There's nothing wrong with being concerned. There's nothing wrong with feeling a little depression now and then, but it's important to refocus, especially as a believer, and not stay in that place. And the way you get out of that place is by talking to the Lord and talking to others about it. In our communication with the Lord through prayer, through meditation, journaling, whatever you want to do, that will help you. Because you know what? He already knows what's in your heart. Not sharing it isn't hiding it. You know, you don't have to put on the happy face if you're not feeling happy, especially in this church. I mean, Jeremiah 17.10, Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. What's he saying? I already know what's in your heart. You're not fooling me. And most of the time, you're not fooling other people either. Or Psalm 33, verses 13 to 15, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven, and he sees all the children of men according to his ways. Or he sees all the children of men from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. We serve an all-knowing God. He created us with Feelings, he created us with emotions, and we're not to just turn them off. But we also have to understand that the Bible instructs us to take these thoughts captive. And because it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, I just want to close in reading with reading Psalm 139. Because this, this speaks to the idea that God created us. God knows what's best for us as a people, even as a nation. And so we, we need to embrace that. Sometimes, you know, when we go to God in prayer, we're constantly asking God to take the trial away or to make the pain stop. That's, that's our first inclination. And sometimes God is up there scratching his head going, but that's not my plan. <laughs> You're going to continue to be in pain. You're going to get sicker. You're, you're going to have more struggle because this is what I want for you because I, I want you to grow in your relationship with me. And this is the only way, unfortunately, I can accomplish that for you. And so sometimes we need to look at our lives when they're filled with pain and trial and tribulation and go, you know what? We need to embrace them rather than trying to push them away. So Psalm 30, 131, or 139, the Psalm of David, um, says this, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you, was not hidden from you, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. How do we live faithfully in a world that's filled with chaos? It's about our mindset. It's about what we're dwelling on. And scriptures tell us that we need to take every thought captive by evaluating how we process our thoughts and our emotions, by recognizing that we're not supposed to do this alone, and to be honest with ourselves and with the Lord about how we're thinking and how we're feeling. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be able to honestly embrace everything that you have for us in 2021. It seems like most believers I know are just walking around numb. (laughs) They don't know how to embrace anything at this point. They're just in shock. But Lord, at the same time, uh, your, your purpose will be carried out. Your plan will be carried out. And Father, you will continue to protect your church. You will continue to... Um, Give us your peace as we focus on your promises and not on the problems of this world. Lord, we do pray for President-elect Biden. We pray for Vice President-elect Harris. We pray for their administration. Lord, that um, we've been through this before, and we just pray that you would allow your uh, convictions to resonate in their hearts and their minds. Lord, these people desperately need Christ. They may have a form of godliness to a certain extent, but they don't even have that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would somehow break through all those barriers. That they would be able to hear the true gospel. The gospel that says that we're but sinners in need of your grace. There's nothing we can do apart from you on our own to save ourselves. Lord, your word says that we need to come to you with a repentant heart, with a heart that's broken over our sin, and ask you to forgive us because that forgiveness is available through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life here on this earth for 30-some years. He died a death on Calvary to pay for our sins on the cross. And then the third day he was risen from the dead. So we know that this is real. It's changed our lives. It can change others. And Lord, I pray that as a church we would have a renewed interest in the the hearts and the souls of, of people in our own community and in the world that we could see many come to Christ this next year through the power of your gospel. And Father, I pray for any who are here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. I pray that they would be, as the New Testament example, the individual who cried out to God, beat his chest, and cried out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, when you recognize, when a person recognizes their sinfulness before a holy God and their willingness to embrace Christ as payment for their sin. 
their desire to follow him as their Lord and Master. Lord, you, you say that you forgive them, that a transaction happens, that they are born again. And so we pray this morning, if there's any here or listening through the live stream that have yet to pray that prayer, to cry out to you in sincerity, that, Lord, that that would become a genuine experience for them today, that they would know what it means to have their sins forgiven, to understand the peace and joy that comes through Christ. And, Father, we just pray that you'd bless our time across the way and... uh, uh, We are dismissed with one last song. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen.